What's up, guys? It is Coach Callie V, and this is another softball podcast. And this is your host, me, Coach Callie V. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the pro going to coach. Let's go. Before we get started on this episode, I have to remind you, be sure to go to the show notes, especially if you've ever wondered what it's like to work with me, Coach Callie V, as your pitching coach, or maybe you're a parent that would like your daughter to work with me. Super simple. You're going to go back to the show notes. You're going to click on the link to book your free virtual game plan call. Within this time, when you and I talk, we're going to discover what's going to be the best fit for your daughter. Maybe it's the online course. Maybe it's joining my pitching membership. Maybe it's training with me online. Maybe it's working with me in small group training or one-on-one. But we're not going to know until you book the free virtual game plan call. So go back to the show notes, click on that link, and book it now. Now, (laughs) coaches, the second link is for you. Instructors, yes, you too. I feel like an airplane person directing traffic. But yes, seriously, go back to the show notes, click on the KBS Coordinated Coaching Membership, and from there, you are gonna become a part of a community of coaches from all walks of life, all across the world, whether it's the beginning, the middle, or the ending part of their career, we're talking practice plans, we're talking drills, we're talking the emotional aspect of the game as well as the mental aspect of the game, helping us as coaches not only process things, but also understand things through our own experiences or things that we're currently walking through. So you're gonna wanna go back to the show notes and join the KBS Coordinated Coaching Membership. Okay, now we can get to the show, let's go. What's up, guys? It is Coach Callie V, and I have Coach Pat Gorman in the house, former professional Major League Baseball player, now turned coach of almost 19 years total, travel ball, and currently a high school coach. Why would I have an MLB former player, now coach, on the show? Because I'm all into supporting coaches, and I know there are coaches out there in the world that are going from pro to coach and maybe they need a little navigation and look i got a guy who's willing to come on the show and help you guys out so pat the floor is yours and i always like to start with where it all started for you like how did you know that baseball was your thing and then pro and then what got you into coaching i mean my well first of all thank you for having me it's uh, it's an honor i'm excited um, as you know, we both thought it was uh, a different day because we were too excited. So I'm very happy to be here. Um, everything started with me, I guess, in Little League. You know, I was, uh, you know, 9, 10, 11 year old kid and uh, I threw the ball hard. You know, I, I'm not going to say I was a pitcher then because I probably wasn't. I was just a kid who threw the ball as fast as I could. And um, I guess that intimidated a lot of kids. They didn't want to get in the batter's box, you know, like they scrunch up. So the strike zone goes like this, you know, those type of things. Um, And very long time ago, Roy White, ex-Yankee, who, you know, is in their top 15 in nine or 10 categories, also coached first base there. He um, actually ended up coming to our, our Little League game because another player on my team, he was his godfather. So, you know, he started saying things to me, which gave me the idea, you know, maybe I am okay. Like I'm pretty good at this game. Um, you know, my dad was my coach. He was a, a homicide detective in Manhattan. So it was, uh, you know, it wasn't like I had, you know, Nolan Ryan as my dad, you know, I had a guy who, you know, caught bad guys who was more of a football fan and boxing fan than anything. So, um, you know, once Roy White had said something to me, it was kind of like, Oh, you know, maybe, maybe there is, you know, a future in this sport 
you know, and at that age, I loved basketball. I loved football. I played soccer. You know, I played everything. Mm-hmm. And um, when I got towards high school, my sophomore year was when I kind of navigated and said, you know, I guess baseball is probably going to be the path. You know, I'm, I'm a six foot uh, center on the basketball team. I, I don't see myself going to Duke, um, though I guarded guys that went to Duke. Um, <laughs> but uh, and then football, I mean, that was probably my my least best sport. I was, uh, as a kid, when I was young in Pop Warner, I played defensive end and I was the punter and the kicker and because I came from soccer. Then when I got to high school, it was the same thing. I played, um, well, first of all, my school didn't have football until my sophomore year. So I was on varsity soccer as a sophomore and they had a JV football season. So I didn't want to go from a varsity athlete to a JV team. So I stayed and then junior year, they became varsity. And when they became varsity, that's when I switched. So I played football junior and senior year at um, my alma mater, Albertus Magnus High School. And um, I ended up playing fullback, which for me, it was just, it was fun. You know, it wasn't, there was no pressure. I didn't have to run 90 yards every time I got the ball. You know, it was just like the first time I could play a sport and I didn't put so much pressure on myself, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure every athlete out there understands that. Um, And then I wasn't going to play basketball my senior year because as kids these days say I want to get ready for baseball which for me probably would have been do nothing you know I mean in all honesty um you know it's it's I should have been outside every day but I ended up playing basketball and it was one of my best decisions I've ever made um and it was it was just a lot of fun and I learned more in that season from my coach than any coach I've ever had in my life you know and my high school basketball coach played for coach K at West Point. So that competitive uh, side and um, that, you know, he made me a better basketball player than I actually was. And he made me believe that I was a lot better than I was. And to me, that's the sign of a good coach, you know, getting a player to play above and exceed his, you know, skill set or, or his own, you know, mental side of the game thinking I can't get a hit I can't hit this kid he throws 80 miles an hour you know convincing him and himself that he can hit that and then obviously the results might be a little different so Mm -hmm. it's been uh it's been a a long a long road put it that way but it's been fun (laughs) that's awesome I have a question though when you say that coach made you better um I feel like today's day and age a lot of coaches take that as almost they do like a mental it's like a complete mental destruction completely leaving a kid completely flatlined and they think they've done a good job do you see that in today's coaching all the way out there in New York are you seeing these coaches like come at these kids with I see their greatness I'm trying to get them to be great that's all I'm doing and then they leave them or are they constructing them as your coach did your basketball coach um I mean, to be honest with you, my, my, just my basketball coach, his name was Joe McGinnis. Um, yeah, you know, he actually passed away, you know, a couple of years ago of cancer, but he was, um, he, the way he formatted us was when we came together as a group before practice, after practice, it was never Falcons or win. It was always either family together, team brotherhood. It was always sculpting us to want to play for the man next to us, not for ourselves. You know, if I'm playing for myself, now there's a selfish aspect to the, to the game where Mm -hmm. if I'm being selfish, I'm 
going to take away from the game, my teammates, you know, and it's like, you're sucking the energy out of the entire team. If you're just looking out for yourself, you know, and he made it very clear that, you know, we're, we're playing for each other, you know, almost like a, a, a military Marine type thing, like leave no man behind, like that, that, that was our, you know, camaraderie. That's what we did after any whistle we huddled up, you know, we had our arms around each other. We'd huddle up and we talked about X, Y, and Z, whatever. And, um, he just made it almost like a mandatory thing that, you know, you, you're not going to say after the game, how many points did I have, mm. you know, ever like that, that was never an aspect. If we won the game, it didn't matter if, you know, the 15th guy on the team ended up with 20 points, the starters had 10 each. Like it didn't matter. As long as we got a win and we did it as a unit, that was the goal. And, I love and that. We were successful. I love that. Cause I'm finding when I ask my pitchers that I work with, you know, how did it go? And every now and then I'll hear, well, I did my job. <laughs> what do you mean? Did you, what, what is the, what does the score say? Yeah. Did you do your job? Well, I, I got, I pitched great, but my defense didn't show up. There are times, and you know this, that your yeah. defense just sucks, but there are times that you suck too. Yeah. Right. So what do you say to those athletes when, cause I know you're dealing with this cause I feel like this is just all over the United States. Just it's the mentality now. What do you say to those athletes who respond with that? How do you construct them to look at it differently? I mean, from if I'm if if I'm speaking to a pitcher and okay. pitchers out there, he's throwing strikes, he's getting ground balls, and we're not making plays. I encourage the pitcher to turn around and say something to the shortstop mm. to uplift him. You know, um, you know, next play, you know, turn two on this one. You know, you're good, you're good. You know, like whatever, whatever encouraging words, you know, if I turn around and I say, come on, man, you got to feel that, you know, well, the next one, he's probably going to miss it, you know, mm -hmm. because in his head, he's trying to not make a mistake. He's not trying to make the play, right. you know, and as you know, baseball, softball, it's a game of failure. You know, once you can accept that you're going to fail in this game, it becomes mm -hmm. a lot easier to play. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when you're so worried, like, Oh, if I make two errors in this game, I'm not going to play shortstop next week. Or if I go 0 for 3 and strike out twice, coach isn't going to trust me to uh, move a runner. You know, he's going to pinch hit for me. You know, I don't think you can play that way. I mean, I, I would have a very difficult time. And I try to encourage my guys, you know, like a simple thing. When we take batting practice, I don't necessarily the first round say, all right, this cage is going to hit to the right side. This cage is going to hit to the left side. It's, you know, two bunts, hit and run. And 10 swings, you have to get the barrel on the baseball 10 times. You're not leaving this cage until you barrel up the ball 10 times. If it takes 20 pitches, 30, 10, whatever it is, that's when you're allowed to leave my cage and go to the next one. Mm. You know, And it's just trying to encourage them that you just want to hit the ball hard. Don't focus on the result because the result in here in a 70-foot cage by 12 feet isn't going to give you the result you're looking for anyway. Right. You know, just hit the ball hard. That's like an example of, you know, a, a, just a little approach of what I bring to my team. I love that. I mean, you're teaching them to finish yep. versus be satisfied without even giving 100% effort, like, or whatever they have. Um, Sue Inquist, I don't know if you know who Sue is, but she was a game changer for UCLA um, with softball back in the day. And she has a foundation called One. And she always talks about nobody's ever a hundred all the time. Mm -hmm. Very few days in, in between we are a hundred percent. 
we have to teach our athletes just like we have to teach ourselves as coaches. What do I have in me today? I got 75%. I'm going to give a hundred of my 75. And what I'm learning with a lot of the girls and the demographics that I'm coaching is teaching them to take how they feel in that moment. If they have 75, they need to give a hundred percent of their 75. And if they fail, there is a different feeling in failing, giving all you got versus failing, not really trying. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what I'm hearing when you say you're not going to finish until you do 10 complete barrel, like through hard hits versus going here, going there, you're teaching them to learn what it feels like to actually finish. Yeah. To succeed. Yes. You know, you know like I, I, in the last, I'd say, probably three to five years, the the big focus for me and, and the guys that I coach with is, you know, first energy, you know, mm-hmm. are we practicing up here? Or are we practicing down here? You know, what's, what's the level of energy today? You know, did the kids, uh, you know, have their SAT today? And are they, you know, walking down a little drained? You know, what can I do as a coach? Even if I don't feel 100%, what can I do to bring that energy up to get them to match my level for us to have a good practice? You know, it might be practicing for an hour that day, Mm -hmm. you know, instead of going two hours, let's get their main focus for 60 straight minutes, get them in, get them out. They'll learn more. If I keep them here for two, two and a half hours and they're walking in without energy, you know, they're going to walk out completely miserable, mad that they were there for two and a half hours, not going to be focused, you know, so... I think that, you know, time management, obviously, during practice and, you know, short bursts of information instead of, you know, 20 minutes of me talking about how we're going to stop a first and third play, you know, instead of doing it in 10 minutes, giving them a chance to forget and come back and do it again for another 10 minutes, you know, just to see what they've retained and what they didn't. Because right there, you're going to know who was paying attention, Mm -hmm. who wasn't, you know. who's going to be the leader and step up and say to his teammate, come on, man, you know, this, let's go, you know, whatever it may be. So, I mean, that's, that's one thing that, you know, I like to do and our, you know, the coaches around me, you know, instead of dragging out a two hour, three hour practice and, you know, leaving saying, "Did, did we gain anything today? Did we get better today? You know, I'm sure you've had that, that walk off the field with your assistant saying, was today useless? Like, did, did we, why, why did we even practice? You know? Well, in truth, I don't like being a head coach. I enjoy being an assistant coach because I really feel like my journey as a coach is to help that coach, Mm -hmm. like kind of have somebody to bounce ideas off of also be able to be like, okay, I need to know that I can have a two way like communication with coach Callie. Like, I love it when my coaches are like today, I'm going to be a complete jerk. (laughs) And I'm like, why? (laughs) Like, why are you telling me this? Like, let's talk about this. And then by the time they tell me how they're feeling, they're like, it's like a woo-saw moment for them. Mm -hmm. So would you say that as a head coach for you, how are you constructing your coaching staff to support each other? Now, just, just to give you a little insight. Um, I've been, I was a, a head coach of every summer league team I've coached. I was a a pitching coach at the collegiate level at Nyack College for two years. Then I left Nyack. I went to my alma mater, Albertus, and I was the head coach there for eight years. 
then um, I left Albertus and I moved to Philadelphia and I worked at All-Star Baseball Academy out there for three years leading up to the pandemic. Then the pandemic hit and I decided to come back to New York instead of paying rent in Philly and not knowing what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. So I came back to New York and last year, uh, um, one of the coaches that coached for me at Albertus, he was actually my JV coach. And then a week before the season, he got offered a head coach job. And, you know, of course, the conversation was, you know, oh, I don't want to leave you high and dry. Listen, you go when you get a head coach job. You don't you don't stay back. You know, yeah. so you're going from JV to varsity. Doesn't matter what level, A, B, C, double A, triple A. I don't care. Go take that job. I'll figure this out. You know, and he did. And he took over a program that was not very good. You know, um, the interest wasn't there the community around the school, no interest, like it, and he, he turned that around and he okay. turned it into a, a program that when they come to your field to play, you know, you're getting a game instead of, Oh, this is going to be a blowout, you know? And that's the way it used to be. You know, mm -hmm. you could throw your number four against them five years ago. You can't do it anymore. So what happened was that coach ended up getting the job at his alma mater, which is Clarkstown South. And he called me last October and said, this is my last year. I'm leaving, I'm, you know, and I don't want the program to go to just anybody. Did you know that when you join the KBS Coordinated Coaching Membership, you are locked into exclusive discounts on products that are going to help not only make your job so much easier, but your team oof, practice so much more effectively and efficiently and take that practice to the game? I'm talking products like the Tater Ball, the five ounce, highly dense compressed softball. Yes, there is a baseball too. Okay, but I'm gonna talk to my softball coaches. <laughs> this ball can go into the hack attack machine and your softball players can take multiple reps and their hands don't hurt, their wrists don't hurt, and it protects your $500 game back. What? I know, get out of here, right? But it doesn't stop there. You also get discounts on amazing products like for the mind, I'm talking always grind, the journals for the coach, the pitcher, the catcher, the hitter for your whole entire team. Yes, this is huge. This is something I love implementing in my pitchers work, especially when they're working bullpens. Ooh, talk about carrying the practice into the game. Let's go, right? But one more thing, one of my favorites, high level throwing. Why high level throwing? Because they have programs specifically designed for beginner athletes to athletes that maybe have created a negative movement pattern and it just rings them right back into where they're moving in such a way that they're gonna have a healthy, long career playing softball and baseball. So yeah, when you join the KBS Coordinated Coaching Membership, my partners partner up with you. So don't you want that? That's right, you do. Go back to the show notes, click on the KBS Coordinated Coaching Membership and join today and not only lock in your exclusive discounts, but just be a part of a community that just cares about you, the coach, as well as your athletes. Let's go. So I'd rather give it to you. So I said, okay. So I went through all the avenues. I got a job in the district because I knew my chances of getting that head coach job would go up, mm -hmm. you know, instead of being an outsider, um, you know, resume wise, I think my resume is pretty good baseball terms. So I knew I'd be okay there. And we ended up um, going into the season with 32 kids on the team, 18 seniors, which as a head coach, I don't think I would have took, taken that many kids. 
because it's very hard to manage a practice, you know? So that was last year. And um, we ended up making it. We won the league last year, and then we made it to the section final. And we overachieved in every possible aspect. Our number one to start the year didn't throw a pitch for us. Our number two got hurt a week before the playoffs. So we ended up playing the eventual state champion in the quarterfinal and throwing our second baseman who went nine scoreless. Then it got dark um, on a Monday. We got sent home. We had to come back on Tuesday to finish the game. And we mm -hmm. threw our shortstop the final four innings and we ended up winning and, you know, four to one. So we win that game with not even a pitcher on the mound. So they, they win the semi. Now they got to beat us twice in the final. Now, mind you, their shortstop's going to Old Miss. They got three pitchers that throw in the, you know, 90 to 95. Mm -hmm. And they're all signed Division One. So, and they're all juniors. You know, so now they're seniors this year. Yeah. So they have to beat us twice. And we have our number two pitcher now back. He throws game one. He's a sophomore, gets knocked out in the first inning. So now we piece it together. We lose seven, three go the next day. They got a piece again. They beat us eight, four, you know, and the fact that we were able, you know, to make it there, let alone give them a game twice without really having any pitching mm -hmm. is a testament to the belief that the we made these kids, you know, believe that, you know, you guys are better than you think you are. And, mm -hmm. and they were, you know, like you're, you're, you're trying to deal with 32 personalities Mm -hmm. 64 parents personalities you know and trying to make everybody one with that amount of kids is very difficult but we were able to do that last year you know we didn't have a kid that we had to send home because he was messing around in practice we didn't have a kid that we threw off the team like that didn't exist we just had a really really good group of kids so do you think that was a reflection of you and your coaching staff yeah I think I think um you know all around you know we had one, two, three, we had five coaches with the varsity okay. that year. Mm -hmm. So to finish my story, what happened was he called me, told me he was leaving. So he said he needed a JV coach. I was like, all right, I'll do the JV. Three days later, he calls me and says, I'd be an idiot to not have you with the varsity, you know, with your experience, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. So he said, why don't you do the freshman? We'll manipulate the schedule because JV plays home, varsity plays away on the same days yeah. always. So we did that. I coached the freshman and then I assisted on the varsity, you know, so we practice at two 30, four 30 JV practices, six 30 varsity practice. So I go to work at six 30 in the morning, get out at two practice at two 30, sit around for two hours, practice from six 30 to eight 30, get home about nine. And I did that for the three months, you know? So this year I didn't want to do that to myself again. Yeah. You know, it was just a lot of time. Now mm -hmm. I, I loved it. I enjoyed it. Our freshman team, I think was 16 and three or whatever it may be. Um, we lost in the, in the County championship. Um, but I tried to stress to my team wins and losses are great. You know, it, it's awesome. But my job is to prepare you 14 kids for the varsity level wins and losses don't matter right now, you know, as at the freshman level, you know, we have eight senior position players graduating. So as sophomores, I want to try to put all of you in a position to make or fight for a job next year at that varsity level. 
So like I had a kid that was a shortstop his whole life played second base for me every game. So after the second game, you know, you could see, you know, like, why aren't I playing shortstop? I'm the best shortstop. You know, like you sense that, you know, so I had a conversation I said, next year, you're not going to be the starting shortstop or have an opportunity to win that job at the varsity level. Mm -hmm. But there's a very good chance you can fight for that second baseman job. So that's why I'm having you play second to prepare you for next year. And I did that with, you know, one, another kid that swinging the bat, we knew he was a varsity hitter as a sophomore. He was a first baseman. The only returning player is our first baseman, our three hitter. So he's not going to play first over him. Mm-hmm. So last year he played third all year to try to learn how to play that position. So he has a chance to win that job this year. Um, so that's kind of what I did when I was with the freshman. So I assisted him on the varsity last year, coached the freshman, and he didn't leave. He's still there. So our initial conversation was, you know, within one to three years, I'm going to leave. You know, that's what he had said to me. So I said, all right, I'll give you the three years or whatever. Um, And this year, because you don't have a coach, I'll do the freshman. Um, I think there's a little bitter taste in his mouth getting to the championship and not winning it. Mm-hmm. you know, which gave him that competitive edge that he wants to come back. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's unfinished business being the assistant, one of the assistants and him as the head coach that, you know, I want to win for him. Mm-hmm. You know, he can go off into the sunset how he wants to, you know, like that, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's how I feel. And like you said before, as an assistant, my job is to do whatever the head coach needs, you know, whether it's base running, work with the catchers, you know, Go show these guys how to shag BP, whatever it may be. You know, that's that's my job. So last year I helped out during the games. I always got the pitchers ready. You know, go get so-and-so up. I'd go down with them. Um, we do have a pitching coach. It's a kid that I actually trained back in the day. Okay. And that was my one stipulation of working with the varsity that I'm not stepping on Frank's toes. You know, he's the pitching coach. Um, I'll support him in any way, but I'm not going to, you know, say, well, he shouldn't be throwing this pitch. He should throw that pitch. You know, like that's just not my personality. I would go to Frank and say, mm-hmm. why don't you not do this and try this? You know, I'm not going to talk behind anybody. Um, so I'm actually right now, one of the assistant coaches just on varsity at South with aspirations of hopefully, you know, getting the head job one day if, uh, if that opportunity, uh, you know, comes up. Right now, it sounds like you're kind of in the trenches in you're in a place where you're building your toolbox for that moment. And that's, yeah, that's what yeah. I'm hearing is I like the fact that you're not constructing conversations behind your pitching coach's back. You're in, and it sounds like that pitching coach is in a good place to do what they need to do for the team as well. Oh yeah. I mean, I you're have respecting full... his job and he's respecting your job. Oh yeah. I mean, I have full confidence in, in him as a, as a coach, as an individual, you know um, he, he's, you know, knowledgeable, you know, if, if, something comes up and he isn't sure he's humble enough to come and say, Hey, Pat, what do you think about X, Y, and Z? You know, like, and, and I'm the same way when it comes to, like to hitting, you know, mm-hmm. I'm more of a, a pitching type guy. That's, that was what I did. That's what I interacted with coaches more. And I learned more of. Um, so when it comes to hitting, I'll ask our hitting coach, um, coach Prendergrass, you know, should he be holding the bat a little different? You know, shouldn't he let the ball travel a little bit more? You know, what, what do you think? You know, it's always, what do you think? Or, or, you know, 
am I right? I just don't want to tell them the wrong thing. You know, like that type of conversations. Um, And then when it comes to base running last year, that was kind of like, you take the outfielders in game, make sure they're positioned correctly. And base running is you. Like, you know, you show them how to do a secondary. You show them, you know, we, we do a thing where every single pitch, your thought process is to get to second base. You know, where we'll we'll start our steal. And if it's a slide step, we shut it down into a secondary. Okay. If there's a lift, we go, we continue, we don't shut it down. You know, so we're trying to prepare the kids for that. And then I I always, especially when I was at Albertus for the years I was there, I ran a delayed steal that I got from a guy who coaches in college that I learned a lot from. So I run a delayed steal. And when I was at Albertus um, as the head coach, everybody knew it was coming but nobody could stop it, you know? And the reason why is in baseball, when you run a delayed steal and if there's a left-handed batter, the catcher is blocked out by the hitter, can't see the secondary. First baseman steps off the bag, the runner's behind him. The only one who could visually see that is the right fielder. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know many right fielders at the high school level that are going to yell that he's going, you know, it's just, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't just steal for the sake of stealing, you know, I'm studying what the catcher does. You know, if he catches and frames it and he stares at his glove, that half a second is enough for us to be safe. You know, does the shortstop after the prep step look up, look down and kick the dirt? You know, does he start walking a step towards third after every pitch? You know, does he spit in his glove? Whatever it may be, you know, if he has one tendency to take his eye off the baseball, I know that delay is going to work. You know, and we were 98 for 100. Over three years. That's awesome. Um, so let, when we're done, I'll tell you how to do it. So your husband knows. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's going to love this. I'm like, and I'm trying to, you know, ask questions because I felt like, I feel like this year he's second year head coach at Chandler high here in Arizona. And he's really put together quite a coaching staff and it's, it's good to sit back as a coach's wife, as a coach and see like each person kind of hone in. what they're good at and then come together for the greater picture not just of the team but for each other like you know there's a big picture and it's always about the athletes but if you can you as a coaching staff can remember that your job is to own what you're supposed to do to make this person look great you're going to expect your kids to do the same thing and in turn they do the same thing yeah like I love the definition of a teammate is to make each other look great and the way you do that is you own your position. Yep. You and it's know. basically like playing catch. You just throw the ball, you catch the ball, you throw them. You like that's what it comes down to. Yeah. So one thing that um, I learned from one of uh, my like mentors. So, so when I was the head coach in Albertus, the athletic director was Joe McGinnis, my old basketball coach, the coach oh, okay. that you know I um, I yeah. learned so much from. So he he you know had had told me two things leading up to becoming the head coach there um one of them was you you owe the players one thing always and that's honesty you know that was one thing that he always said you know don't don't sugarcoat the fact that you know hey you're doing great you know next year you know I could see you as the three hitter but you're lying to the kid you know like you know I'd rather say look you're gonna have to work a lot harder to get into the lineup next year so you know take 10 minutes, 15 minutes every day, hit off the tee. It'll make a difference. You know, like I'd rather say that instead of 
giving some false hope and, you know, telling a kid that he's possibly going to be somewhere that he's not because then he's not going to work as hard. You know, right. he's going to say, oh, well, coach told me next year I'm going to be in the lineup, you know? So what do I have to do to get better? You know, I'm already in, you know? Mm -hmm. So I never want a kid to feel like it's his turn, you know, like his spot is guaranteed, you know? Um, you know, you always want a competition in practice in some right. which way, you know, even if it's bunting into hula hoops, you know, that brings the energy up, that brings the excitement, that makes them really work, you know, when they're competing, you know, opposed to, all right, guys, everybody's got to go to the bunting station, then it's just like, bing, <laughs> bing, 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 yeah. you know, and they want to just be done with that, mm -hmm. you know, so I always try to make it uh, some kind of competition. And the other thing that he said was, when you start as a coach, like for us, March 12th is day one, you know, when you start as a head coach, it's very difficult to go from a nice guy to an authority figure and expect them to listen to you. Now you can start off stern and always back off each day and become a nicer person. And then they will start to respond like, Oh, maybe he's not really a jerk. You know, he actually is really a nice guy. Like he's not, he's not as mean as we thought he was, mm -hmm. you know, but if I start off as the nice guy and you're going to get walked all over, you know, like that, that's the way he explained it to me. And I mean, I'm, I didn't come in like, you know, Sergeant Slaughter, you know, everybody on the line, put your bags in order, you know, like nothing like yeah. that. You know, it's just, um, you know, you want them to respect you and they want the respect that they deserve as well. You know, Love so that. I felt like that was the way that you would be able to, to guarantee that that's going to happen. Wait, coach, wait, 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 wait. You want coach Callie B to come train your pitchers? Sweet. KBS is coming to your city. Let's go. Just go to the show notes and there's a link, CallieBSoftball.com, and just fill out the contact info and make sure in the memo you put KBS Pitching Workshop. And from there, we're able to set up a call and talk about what it would look like for KBS to come to your facility and train your pitchers. It's going to happen. No, oh, that's good. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions here. Sure. Um, Let's see, when you first started coaching, what did you do to educate yourself as a new coach? Or did you think that you could just go straight from being a pro to being a really good coach? What did no, you I've, do? I've seen and I've had coaches that have coached with me. I've coached mm -hmm. against other coaches that, you know, played it in pro ball. And, you know, just like you had said on your post the other day, just because you played professional baseball, um, that doesn't make you a good coach. You know, uh, I, you know, it makes you very knowledgeable mm -hmm. about the game, um, but it doesn't teach you to, you know, like I always joke around as a baseball coach, I feel like I'm a psychologist, a therapist, <laughs> you know, like everything, because you're dealing with so many different personalities, you know, like the one kid who always gets mad after his at bat, you know, but out of respect for you, he will not throw the bat or slam his helmet, you know, mm -hmm. but he's going to go out in the field and probably make an error because that at bat is going to carry over to next inning. You know, how can I, as a coach, make sure that doesn't happen? You know, what, what can I do? You know, I feel like the guys that, you know, are pro ball guys, they know that when they strike out in pro ball, they're going to get another at bat, you know, like the world's not going to end, you know, mm -hmm. you, it's a different, it's a different level, but at the lower level, those kids, they don't, they don't grasp that yet. Right. You know, they're, they're immature, you know, as they mature as kids, you'll see from freshman to senior year, that one kid who was always angry as a freshman, he's probably mm -hmm. going to be one of the quieter ones as a senior, because 
he's now matured enough and understood what you've been preaching to him for X amount of years. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like when it came to X's and O's, when it came to, um, you know, positioning guys, cutoff and relays, first and third plays, very knowledgeable, but sometimes they don't know how to interpret it to the kids. Right. You know, because at the level they played at, they know it. It's expected to be known. Right. You know, you could do it once in practice. This is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. Um, you're going to fake here and throw there. It's going to happen in the first try. In mm -hmm. high school, it might take 15 tries. Do you have the patience to not lose it? Do you have the patience to not, you know, bark at a kid because he's not getting it? You know, I feel like they expect more things to happen quicker than they actually do. Um, so I don't know if being a, a pitcher changes things from being a position player, you know, walking out of pro bowl, the coach, I, I can't speak for position players, but those are the ones that coach with me. Those are the ones that I coached against. And I feel like they didn't, they didn't have the team aspect as much as other coaches, like even for instance, a gym teacher in the school, he has a better relationship with every kid than the guy who shows up at two 30 for two hours or an hour and a half, you know, every day, Yeah. you know, the gym teacher sees them in school in the hallways all the time, sees them for his class, sees them at practice, you know, he's going to gain a better relationship with that kid. And then that kid is going to respond differently to him than he will to the guy that played at the high level. You know, I feel like the kids are very intimidated by guys that come out of pro ball, mm -hmm. you know, because they feel like, you know, oh, I have to do what he said because, you know, he played for the Mets. You know, like that, that's not the case. You know, like when it came to me, like working with kids, I don't necessarily look at a kid, throw five pitches and say, you need to do this because this is the way I did it. You know, every kid throws different release point. Their mechanics are different. I try to just like listening to an old school radio where you had to find the station you know, and fine tune it for it to come in clear. That's kind of my approach with kids. You know, I'm going to fine tune what he's doing. If he's pitching and I think that he could possibly get hurt because of his mechanics, that's a different story. Then we'll kind of overhaul what he's doing. Right. You know, but if he's had success from 12 years old on and he's 15 now, why would I change what he's doing if I didn't think he would get hurt? Yeah, I might be able to keep him back so he throws a little harder. I might be able to change a grip where he gets more movement you know, stuff like that. That's kind of how I approach it. You know, mm -hmm. you can't tell a kid who's been holding the bat like this since he's seven to all of a sudden hold the bat like that. He's not gonna be able to do it. Right. You know, now if he does it once and gets a good result after three swings, he's going to be back here. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, your body's going to revert back to what it knows, you know, and if he holds it, you know, I guess the way they say the proper way, line up your knuckles and hits three line drives up the middle, Right. So now he's seeing what this what he's saying. It actually works. Mm -hmm. You know, so he'll be more reluctant to try it. Now, I'm not going to tell him every pitch. Fix your hands. Fix your hands. Fix your hands. Because now it's just a command. And it's just I'm listening because you're my author authoritarian. You right. know, I'd rather him figure it out on his own after 10 swings. You know, after 10 swings, I'll be like, check your hands. You know, and then yeah. I'll go back. He'll hit the ball pretty good damn, this works, this works, you know, yeah. and let them figure that out. You know, I'm not going to sit there and say, see, I told you my way works, you know, you know, I can't. They, they I, yeah, I can't. No, it's so funny that you were talking about relationship with the gym teacher. Cause 
my husband and I were talking about this the other day and he was talking about as a teacher on campus, he has more of a relationship with the players. Like he really loves it, but he brings in, you know, former professional players to come on staff to, you know, continue to feed these kids, like the reality of something that could happen for them if they X, Y, and Z kind of scenario. So I like that you brought that up. Um, I know when my husband listens to this, this will probably be the one that he actually listens to. He's going to be like, oh my gosh, like that's exactly what I said. But yeah, no, that's huge. I have a uh, good example. My, I believe it was my second year um, at the high school, Albertus, where I was the head coach. I had, um, I had a guy coaching with me. He had played 11 years of pro ball, seven of them in AAA. I mean, when it came to hitting, when it came to um, fielding, knew everything. I mean, everything. You know, he was just very knowledgeable about the game of baseball. You know, like sometimes he would talk to the hitters, but because of the level he was at, he was speaking so technical, but never dropped down to the kid's level where he could understand it. That's where I see, you know, the different parallels when it comes to a guy coming out of pro ball. Do you mentor them like to kind of like, do you take them aside and be like, Hey, I'm not knocking what you're doing, but I'm going to help you meet that kid exactly where they're at with all your years of coaching. Do you take that moment and use it as a constructive like moment to, to the coach or to the kid, yes, to the coach. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, love all that. The, I mean, we're talking all the time, you know, where it's, we'll set up a, a, a drill say, you know, like we do a pickoff drill um, in practice where, there's three lines on the mound. He's picking a first, he's picking a second, he's picking a third all at the same time, you know? So everybody's going boom, balls are getting thrown everywhere, you know, and they're doing that. If I have a kid or a coach that's teaching the kid, but he's slightly wrong with what he's saying, mm-hmm. I'll never, I'll never say it out loud in front of everybody. I'll pull them yes. aside, you know? And I do that with the kids too. I never will. I say, you know, why do you keep lifting your leg the wrong way in front of everybody? You know, because mm. now I'm singling him out. Now, technically, when he goes home and says, coach yelled at me, I did, you know, instead of mm-hmm. pulling him aside and saying, listen, man, you have to focus more. The reason why you're not getting it is because in between your turn, you're messing around with Joey instead of watching the guys in front of you. So, you know, you don't make a mistake. You're better than that. Come on. And I'll walk away. You know, yeah. so that's a different approach. That's a conversation between you and him, but like other people can see it. They can see that you're not yelling at him. You're not talking down to him kind of scenario. Yeah, You're, you're treating him as an equal. Cause like, know? yeah. And, and I do know that there are coaches out there that are still coaching 30 years later and they're still riding the wave of, well, this is how we did it. And then say That's a great. new coach comes in, like, I'll just put it out there. My husband, he went to the ABCA. He goes every year and Stankowitz had this amazing presentation and my husband's like, this is what I'm trying to get everybody to understand. But when you have a coach who's not willing to buy into that, how do you handle that? Like, say you brought in a coach because they've been in it for a while. You, you know, they're like, you know, their heart, you know, they're a good person, but they have this, this almost like catch flaw in their coaching where they're not taking a moment to talk to the kid one-on-one. They're just outlandishly coming at them during practice. How do you handle that? If you have ever had to handle that? Yeah. I mean, thankfully, a lot of the guys I coach with, um, you know, one, one of the guys I coach with, he was with me 
kind of, I mean, he, I think he's seven out of the eight years. He was my hitting coach, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I was the best man at his wedding. Like, you know, we were, we were tight and personality wise, we're the same, you know, like mm -hmm. we're identical. So mm -hmm. I never had to worry about that with him. Now, are there times in practice that, you know, my fungal bat goes for a ride? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I mean, and that's more honest. of a frustration yeah. when an entire team, like infield pop-ups, always an issue, you know, always an issue. And when I, I don't use a machine, I mean, I hit them a mile in the air. Mm -hmm. You know, I expect them to mess up. I expect them to miss them. And I've told every team I've ever coached from day one, the first day, I say, if you make an error, if you strike out, you're never going to get yelled at by me ever, ever, because physical mistakes are going to happen and they're going to happen more than something good, a hit, you know, a routine ground ball. The mistakes are going to happen. Mental mistakes, missing a sign, not being in the right spot on first and third play. Those things are what will get me upset. Never booting a ball. You know, if you boot a ball, so what? Who cares? You know, get the next one. Mm -hmm. You know, like during infield outfield, if before a game, if they make a mistake or boot a ball, it goes in their back pocket. You know, they don't throw a ball across the infield and it looks terrible, you know, while the other team's watching you warm up. You know, you boot a ball, boom, put it in your back pocket. You boot another one, put it in your other pocket. And I'll jokingly say, hey, three for a dollar, like the carnival, and I'll hit another one. You know, what, whatever it is to get their mind off of, God, I can't feel the ground ball today. I can't feel the ground ball today. Yeah. You know, you know, they're about to start on the field for a home game and your shortstop just missed every ground ball you hit him. You know, mm. what, what can I do as a coach to get him out of the funk that he's in thinking he mm. can't feel the ground ball, mm -hmm. you know? So again, infield ends, pull him aside, you know, Hey, yeah. good thing we made all those errors during you know, that's exactly what I say to yeah. when I'm helping warm up pitchers and let's just say their warm up just wasn't that well. I'll be like, Hey, you're not going to walk the first three batters. You're good. It's out of your system. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, I tell the kids that warm up all the time. There's times where I had the worst warm up ever. And I was, a, I was a closer, you know, I, I couldn't throw a breaking ball for a strike. And then I come in the game, first pitch calls breaking ball. It's like, Oh God, here we go. You know, <laughs> But you throw for a strike and you're like, all right, I'm back, you know, whatever, yep, whatever. There it Gets is. Gets your brain right. back on track. But I love it. You know. I love it. All right. I'm going to ask you a couple more questions here. Let's see. Um, this is a typical question. It, I think a lot of coaches get asked this because like coaching 17 different kids, 17 different personalities, you have 64 different personalities behind those 17 different personalities. Mm -hmm. How do you handle parent feedback? And let's just go ahead and start off with the negative, like, like worst case scenario, maybe you have an example of it. And then um, like how you handled it in the beginning versus maybe how you handle it now. Does that okay. make sense? So like, um, maybe you could say like early on in my career, I really handled it bad. X, Y, and Z happened, but now same thing comes my way and I just handle it this way. Yeah. I'm again, I was, I was very fortunate to have, in the building a guy that you know has coached for yeah. a very long time you know so i would always turn to him you know if i ever needed needed advice for anything you know and then on top of that my brother um is a lacrosse coach you know he 
coached lacrosse out in Chicago. He started it in that area. He won, I don't know, two or three state championships. Then he took the job at top 25 school in the country, Don Bosco High School, you know, won a state championship there. Now he's the athletic director at my old high school that, that started this year. So him being a coach, I was always able to also reach out to him. I, I reached out to him two weeks ago, you know, to ask him a question about, you know, something that was going on with the basketball team. So full circle, the coach that I played basketball for, his son is the head coach at the high school that I'm coaching baseball for That's basketball. Amazing. So he that. asked me to help him out this year, basketball, which I haven't done in 25 years. <laughs> um, but looking at the amount of things his father did for me, mm -hmm. that's a, a hundred percent. Yes. You know, I can't say no. So, um, I helped him out and we were having a little issue with our team. So I reached out to my brother for advice and, you know, just that's, I'll never go at it by myself. I'll always interact with the other coaches, somebody that I respect, you know, that I feel would give me an answer that is a good answer. That was a show. Part one is done. Super excited, super grateful that Pat Gorman gave me his time expressing his journey, his story, the glory, all of it. But it doesn't stop there. You don't want to miss out on part two. He's going to share even more in his journey from the coaches that had I guess the strength to mentor him, I mean, it would be kind of intimidating, right? To mentor a professional, former professional, right? But he didn't have that. He had coaches that poured into him in such a way that now he pours into other coaches. And one of my favorites is one of his little things that he does for his outfielders, and it's literally with a note card. And then yes, Pat Gorman is his family's black sheep. You're gonna wanna hear this story. It's a great story. Don't miss it. Like, subscribe, follow the show on all the podcast platforms as well as YouTube so you don't miss out on this. Real quick, I just wanna say thank you for being a part of the KBS Big Picture. And if you would like to be a part of the KBS Big Picture, it's super simple. All you need to do is like, follow, and subscribe to the podcast on multiple podcast platforms, as well as YouTube. And don't forget to follow me on all social media platforms. Thank you again, guys, for listening to the show and allowing me to bring you quality content for the coach, the parent, as well as you, the athlete. Thanks, guys, and God bless.